0: So Money Episode 1486, From Foster Care to Financial Educator. Mark Russell, founder of Better Wallet. You're
1: listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. 13 years of my childhood, I was bouncing from home to home in Philadelphia and all throughout Pennsylvania, basically just trying to find a family that would adopt me. And you know, as you get to the point where you become a teenager, you start to lose hope and you just think that eventually you're going to age out of the system.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. Unleashing a really, really good interview today with Mark Russell, a new friend, creator of Better Wallet. You may already know Mark. He's extremely prolific with his financial education content. He's a full-time entrepreneur. Teaches families all around the world how to make money work for them through practical investing. His story to how he got here started with the foster care system. Thirteen years in foster care. He then then went on to self-fund his college education. And then he climbed the ranks at some of the biggest financial institutions in the world. But his financial journey to getting here was not a straight path. Even with the big job after college, he was living paycheck to paycheck with $80,000 worth of debt. His approach to personal finance is very smart, very fun. I want to hang out with Mark. And I think you will too. Here's Mark Russell. Mark Russell, creator of Better Wallet. Welcome to So Money.
1: Thank you for having me on for Noosh. How's it going?
0: It's going great. And I should mention, I'm a Penn State alum. Go State. State. We are. (laughs) We are. What was your experience like at Penn State? Campus of 50 plus thousand students, middle. They say it's Happy Valley, but I also think it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, But I had a great, I mean, my audience knows I had a great time uh, at Penn State, obviously. (laughs) I go back quite often. Love my alma mater. How was it for you? Why did you go to Penn State?
1: Yeah, so Penn State was in my backyard, um, but I never thought I would ever go there. So I grew up about an hour south of of Penn State in a very small town um, in the middle of nowhere where there really isn't anything. And everyone that I knew was either a Penn State fan or they went up to State College because that was like our our big city in a way of like getting away from the country uh, where we had like farmland and everything. So I chose Penn State, honestly, because I was looking at all the other schools around that I wanted to go to, like likely big basketball schools. I thought I would one day play in the NBA uh, or big football schools. And when I started doing the math and (laughs) figuring out what I could actually afford, uh, Penn State was the only school that I felt like I could actually afford and I couldn't even afford that. Um, in addition, I also did a program called Upper Bound, which um, basically bridges the gap between um, people who traditionally wouldn't be going off to college like blue collar um, high schools and, uh, and you know, bridging the gap between college. So I owe my entire career to that that program. And during the summertime, we will go up to state college and basically take classes to prepare us for the next year. So I became acquainted to Penn state and I loved everything about it. And then you go to one white owl football game and you're hooked. Um, yeah. so I remember being on a fence on if I wanted to stay at Penn state, like I had a choice um, and I went to one football game and the roar of we are Penn state across Beaver stadium had me hooked. And I still get chills today just thinking about that. And now I'm this, you know, alum that loves it to the core enough where I feel very comfortable reaching out to literally whoever and saying, Hey, like I'm from Penn state as well. Let's connect.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I'll be in a um, Williams Sonoma and I'll see someone wearing a Penn state hat and I'll (laughs) stop and talk to them whether they like it or not. We're having, we're becoming friends. We are now
1: best. That's how I felt in corporate. I'm like, I would, you know, interview people and bring them into either Vanguard or like some of the other companies I worked at and we'll have all the new hires. And once I found out that the, like one person was a Penn Stater, I'd say, oh, my God, like you're a Penn Stater. We are now immediately best friends. Like whatever you need, you you don't worry about it. I got you. You want to get a drink later today? Like we have happy hour. Like, we can go to happy hour. And it's really the bond that we have that I would. I would compare it to like even like the Ivy League schools and, and would argue that our alumni base and how prideful we are in Penn State rivals some of the bigger the bigger Ivy League schools out there.
0: All right. Well, I swear I didn't bring you on just to plug Penn State, although uh, that was really them. nice. They're going <laughs> to love that. Your journey, though, Mark, started in terms of your journey becoming financially um, successful and starting Better Wallet. You are conscious to point out the fact that you are a foster child that your mm-hmm. journey through foster care is where a lot of your story began in terms of where you got your gumption, your determination, um your appetite for financial learning. You said that even though you were a foster child, like the household that you were raised in was very much about education. So that was mm-hmm. such a great foundation for you. Take us back to that those years and and what are some of the memories that really stick out as far as like thinking about like why you've pursued the path that you have today.
1: Absolutely. So I, I will start by saying, you know, I came from very humble beginnings, um, as you you know spoke about. So as soon as I was born, I was placed into, into foster care. Both my mom and my dad were victims of drug abuse. In fact, my biological mom still goes through it. My dad, you know, has since kind of moved away from that world. Um, so 13 years of my childhood, I was bouncing from home to home in Philadelphia and all throughout Pennsylvania, basically just trying to find a family that would adopt me. And, you know, as you get to the point where you become a teenager, you start to lose hope and you just think that eventually you're going to age out of the system. Luckily, I was you know picked up by a family in small town, Pennsylvania, um, as I mentioned, directly south from State College. And though they didn't really have all too much money, they did prioritize education. They're both blue collar workers. My dad basically moved boxes around <laughs> as his job in a, in a warehouse um, for Mead. Um, like, so if you knew Mead Five Star Notebooks, he worked for that company. Yeah. And my mom was a high security prison guard. I should also mention my dad was a, was a sailor, so he was in the Navy. So you can imagine how disciplined the household was um both of them they, they couldn't go off to college. Um, both of them lost their parents early in life and they were the oldest child and they had to take care of their family so for me they said well you don't have a choice you either have to do ROTC in college or you have to go to college directly so the the reason why I became so passionate about finance is because when you grow up in a small town before Instagram and Facebook and all that you, you can only really dream of the world that is beyond the couple of miles that you grew up in. Um, and I would often think about, you know, traveling to distant countries. I would think about, you know, working for these bigger corporations and living the dream that, you know, a lot of people that grew up how I grew up were able to achieve. So I should also mention that a lot of people around me, they weren't doing things that, um, Let's just say that they, uh, they were entrepreneurs, but they they didn't pay taxes. Um, so I knew that I didn't want to do that. And luckily I had a father and mother that said, Hey, like, that's not your future. That's not going to be your reality. You have to go off to college as a means of getting to where you need to get to. Um, not necessarily because I wanted to learn everything about economics. It was more of that. If you want to escape this situation, you have to go off to college. And that's really where it started.
0: You've had some bumps in the road, though, you know, Mark, maybe you've been paying your taxes, but you did start out as you were at $80,000 in debt. Um, mm-hmm. And getting out of that is also what helped to build your platform as an educator. How mm-hmm. did you do it? What, how did you amass that much debt? Was it was it Penn State?
1: Yeah, Penn State was <laughs> the, the majority of it. <laughs> yeah. So um, being a naive kid that never really had anyone that went off the college of his family, I told myself, Hey, I'm going to go to Penn state and I'm going to graduate in four years. And eventually, you know, a student aid office comes knocking at your door where they just send you an email saying, Hey, like you owe all this money to the university. And Oh, by the way, you don't have any student loan, uh, student aid. Um, so because of that, you need to work odd jobs to make it happen. Right. So over the course of the four years I was at Penn state, I had to work odd jobs. I had to literally beg the, the tuition office for money. <laughs> they knew me by first name basis. I walk in and say, okay, we, well, we know what you're looking for. Um, and I would just sit there for hours, just trying to negotiate and trying to sell myself and what I brought to the table. Um, and with that, that came along with a lot of debt. So a lot of times they had to, you know, just give me loans in order to pay for school. I should also mention this was at you know two thousand and eight, so during the financial crisis two thousand eight two thousand nine were two years, um, my first two years in college. So they're basically giving a loan to a kid that didn't have any money and no promise that you're gonna pay it back into the future. So I understand the risk that they were taking on. Um, I love Penn State to death, but man, their student aid office, uh, needs some help. Um, hopefully it's better now, but that's where a lot of the student loan debt came from. In addition, because I didn't know too much about finances or interest rates or anything. Um, I remember getting my first credit card, which in my head was free money, right? $10,000 of free money. So Instead of doing what I probably should have been doing with it, you know, paying for books or just paying for odd expenses, whatever it might have been, I was doing what every Penn Stater does. Like I was having fun. I was going out to, you know, bars and, you know, there's (laughs) like, I'm trying to think of uh, a few off the top of my head, like the first and the saloon. And and it was nothing for me to just say, oh, well, I'll pay for it. I have $10,000 in, you know, credit cards. Like, why not? That you know was the ten thousand dollars in credit card debt. So fifty thousand from student loans, ten thousand from credit cards, and then another twenty thousand came when um, I graduated from Penn State and started my job at Vanguard. So I got a twenty thousand dollar car that I still mm. have today. Um, but it was a challenge, and I didn't think about paying off all my debt until I realized I was living paycheck to paycheck, um, and that was. Maybe one of the most—that's—that's that's truly when I was humbled and knowing that I accomplished so much for where I was from. I went off to college. Like adoptees, don't go off to college. Foster kids, don't go off to college. Like it's like if you look at the stats, like it's very rare. And then for me to be in corporate America, it's extremely rare to go from being a foster kid, almost aging out of the system, and then working for the largest mutual fund company in the world um, or one of the largest. So I felt ashamed that I was living paycheck to paycheck and then all this, all, like I had all this debt. Um, but, you know, I, I had to find a way out of, of that, uh, out of that situation.
0: And I will add to that Cafe 210 took a lot of my money at Penn State. There we go. I was trying to think of, I was
1: like the- The corner uh,
0: room uh, and- Cafe it 210 was
1: definitely a big <laughs> one. Uh, the, the, what are they called? The skillet fries?
0: All you can eat wings. Like it was- yeah, you know, State College is not, relatively is not a high cost of living area, but for a college kid making no money. And I had many jobs at Penn State. I worked at Nittany Notes. I worked nice. at Mario & Luigi's. I worked at the Collegian selling advertisements. I sold coffee over the phone like a telemarketer. It lasted wow. only like oh, three weeks. It was a the, p- the worst job. Um, Did now, you take advantage of
1: BioLife um, selling plasma? That was my side hustle. Oh my- <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, how it really got. I was, I was selling blood in order to eat.
0: <laughs> I mean, I may have considered it. Um, <laughs> you have a guide for those of us who are, who are where you were at. You sort of mm-hmm. first job, big paycheck, uh, biggest paycheck to date. Uh, perhaps you've got student loan debt and you just don't know where to put the money. I go back to Penn State quite often now with like, Farnoosh's rules for how to spend your first paycheck especially if you're aspiring if you're aspiring to live in a city like New York or another high cost of living area. Tell us about what you recommend for young adults. Your best advice for for new grads.
1: Yeah, I would say figure out how much money you're making, which is easy, um, but also understand the money that you are spending. Um, it all comes down to having a spending plan. Um, you know the the Word that people don't like to use, but we should use is you know having a budget and understanding not only the bills that you need to pay right you have to pay well not right now but student loans you have to pay that back uh, you might have a car loan you might have you know certain bills you have to pay Comcast Hulu whatever is like popular nowadays and then also you have your variable expenses right so if you're going out to eat which I did often I still do <laughs> if you go and you know go out to drink with your friends if you go shopping, you want to understand what your variable expenses are as well, because a lot Mm -hmm. of times your variable expenses can be more expensive than your actual bills. So you want to not only just think about, okay, well, I need to pay all these bills and I have all this extra money. Think about those variable expenses. So I think that's first and foremost. Uh, Number two, understand how much debt you actually have. I didn't think about how much debt I had until I got to the point where it was almost too late. Right. So, um, so it wasn't until I was, you know, crying literally that that single tear moment uh, in in Philly, where I looked at my first real budget and said, "Wow, like I'm spending way too much money," and man, like here's how much debt I have: eighty thousand dollars of debt, and you know the credit cards are high interest debt, and I had no strategy to, to pay it off. It's probably the the most rewarding experience that you can ever go through is that, that single, I call it a single tier moment, but it's the beginning of a, of a brand new life for you. Um, so just get acquainted with how much debt you actually have, have a plan for the money that you're making, and then start to build a plan to figure out how you can go about paying off your debt Along like in tandem with also investing into your 401k, 403b, whatever it might be up to your company match. So a lot of employers out there, I think plus 90% of employers out there, if they offer a 401k, they also offer a match try to take advantage of that as much as you can, because basically it's free money. It's not for you're working for it, but um, it's free money in terms of like, you're getting this compensation. And if you don't actually contribute 5% or whatever the percentage might be, you lose it. And each year that you lose it, like the opportunity cost is ridiculous. So take advantage of that. I would say those are my first you know, two or three steps when you're starting to make a first paycheck.
0: When you were getting out of the debt, what was something that you did to accelerate the payoff? Because some people will say, well, I'll go and move to my parents' house or I will switch cities or I will get a roommate, you know, because depending on what you, what your goals were, your timeline, all of that. I remember, I'll never forget, a guest came on the show and he had something like 300,000 in debt at one point. And he said, you know, you got to get uncomfortable if you want to get out of debt. What was your uncomfortable moment?
1: Yeah, I would say humble yourself in, in a way, um, get uncomfortable. Definitely. So I would think through what your largest, largest expenses are. So your largest expense by far is going to be taxes. You can't really do anything with that unless you want to go to jail. That's, that's number one. Number two <laughs> um, would be your housing. So you can you know switch to, to different cities. You could have a roommate, you can uh, get yourself into a fantastic relationship with someone that could eventually become your spouse (laughs) Um, you could also take a look at your car Um, that you know transportation happens to be uh, the number three um, expense or the third highest expense and then number four would be food um, or groceries or anything of that nature so you want to look through each of those bigger expenses and think to yourself how can I decrease these these expenses? And it doesn't have to be all the way to zero. It doesn't have to be half, but even a quarter, how can you decrease that? And how much money would you actually save? And then you multiply that by 12 12 months in a year, and you can see how much money you actually could save by decreasing the amount of expenses that you might have. Um, That's basically what I did when I first you know, graduated from from college and I I started working for Vanguard. I lived in an area called Roxborough, which is near Manionk in Philly. And I lived by myself. And I thought, well, I'm making this money now. You know, I can live by myself and I owe it to myself to, you know, be my own, my only roommate. I was paying close to $2,000 per month for rent. And I thought to myself, man, like, what if I shared this with someone else that I could actually tolerate? So, I, uh, I did what any millennial would have done during that time. And, uh, and I think back to it now and I'm like, ah, I really lucked out, but I went to Craigslist. I don't even know if people still do that now, but I went to okay. Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> and I was it's like, That's how the
0: best stories start. I went to <laughs> Craigslist.
1: <laughs> I was like, I'm searching for a roommate. And, um, you know, eventually I ended up finding a, a roommate who actually did not come from Craigslist. He was someone I met in the community. Uh, that I lived in. And we became roommates and that saved me a thousand bucks per month. So $12,000 over the course of a year. And let's say I had $12,000 in credit card debt. Guess who's going to be credit card debt free by the end of the year.
0: And you became debt free. I'm looking at your bio here in 2020. Mm -hmm. This question comes from our sponsor Prudential. What then was a moment since 2020 that propelled you to the next level of your financial life? You're debt-free? What came next?
1: Yeah. So I think of my finances um, and the the eras of my my finances in, in three different ways. So the first one was living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing how I was going to pay for food. Um, the second wave was going and becoming debt-free um, as of you know 2020. And the third wave is this wealth journey that I'm on now. So what really propelled me was Paying off all of my debt, even student loan debt, during the time where student loans were paused. Um, so July of 20, yeah, July of twenty twenty. Once I paid off my debt, not only did I cry a lot, I just said, "Wow!" Like I don't owe anyone anything. And now the one thousand five hundred dollars that I had going to debt every single month can go actually to investing or building this business that I want to build. And it gave me a, a sense of freedom, uh, just knowing that I could basically live off of one paycheck if I really wanted to and use the other amount in order to invest. That was truly the moment that propelled me to the next level.
0: That's great. And, you know, and in hearing your story, Mark, I can't help but imagine that you were afraid sometimes too, as you went through some periods of loneliness as a kid and then in college with the amount of debt that you took on. And then everyone's afraid when they're starting out in life. Well, how has fear been, in some ways, a stimulus for you to get to make the right choices? You know, I, I'm writing a book about how fear can be a healthy thing. How has fear been helpful to you?
1: Yeah, so definitely feared a lot growing up because um, I always had in my head, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. Going to college, I was one of the only people from my high school to go off to college. not supposed to be here. I worked for you know, Vanguard, which, you know, a lot of my peers were all trust fund kids. That was the opposite. Um, and what I had to keep in my head is that I'm special because I happen to be in that situation that a lot of people dream of. Um, so fear has always propelled me to to do more because I now think of fear as being fake and think to myself, okay, if I fear it, it's actually, it's, is actually adrenaline. Like it's me being excited for that next opportunity. Let it be presenting in front of thousands of people or taking on an opportunity. Like I just got off the phone with USA Today. Um, and two years ago, I would have been afraid to actually have that conversation. But now that like I have switched my mind to thinking that it's an adrenaline rush. Now I'm like excited. And I go onto a phone call and I'm like excited to talk to a reporter. Um, because again, like I know that though I feel like I shouldn't be here, I am given an opportunity. I have a platform that a lot of people have dreamed of. And then also on top of that, I just know that if I'm able to break down these barriers, if I'm able to do what I'm doing and I'm sharing my story, it's going to help liberate so many other people that come from where I come from that feel like they couldn't have accomplished anything in life because of the cars that they were given. And they can look at it and say, well, if Mark did it, I can do it as well. So that is how I, I view fear. Um, you know, fear is is one thing, but you, you want to switch it around and think of it as being like motivation or just adrenaline that you might be feeling that you want to label as fear in a way.
0: Right. Yeah. And well, your audience, you're right. I mean, 166 thousand, probably by the time this airs, it'll be even more followers on Instagram, tons more followers everywhere else. YouTube, I know you are active there. And what do you think your audience really wants? I, I think that, you know, I'm still friggin' figuring this out in terms of at least like what to post on social media. What do you find to be the most engaging content on the social media platforms, at least from what you've produced?
1: Yeah, a lot of times it's um, me leveraging what I learned as a financial advisor that isn't all too apparent out there. So I think on the internet you hear a lot of people are like, "Oh, here's how you go about getting rich," right? Like that's what a lot of the the, the cool social media people are talking about. A lot of what I talk about when I was a financial advisor was moving from rich to wealthy and then wealthy to uh generational wealth which there are three separate definitions and like the people who have like true generational wealth they wouldn't want to be rich right like it's completely different right Rich is i make a lot of money that's great celebrities actors whatever like they they all have this this sense of being rich um you have wealth which you have like the jay-z's and beyonce's and like um tyler Perry's. i'm just thinking people off the top of my head where they can stop working today and they won't have to work another day in their life and their kids probably won't either because then they have the next level which is generational wealth where they are able to tax efficiently pass that that wealth to them and then they don't have to ever work ever again right if they choose to so be it right so a lot of what i post online and what i'm starting to post more online is like the concepts of like, okay, here's how you go about building wealth. Here's how you build generational wealth. So I speak a lot about, you know, 529 plans and um, UTMA, UGMAs and custodial Roth IRAs, because I think, you know, getting, becoming rich, whatever your definition of it, you know, you, you can do that likely. Um, But the true challenge is how can you pass on to your kids and how can you make sure they don't screw it up? Right. Cause that's really what my goal is. I want to help close the wealth gap. Um, And if the only way you can close your wealth gap is not just talking about, hey, here's how you accumulate money is how can you continue to pass that on? That way, your kids don't have to get out of the mud like we had to.
0: Wow. I mean, that's what I want. How are (laughs) you working towards that yourself? Do you um, like what's next for you, I guess? And, And by the way, if people don't have family, you can create generational wealth and leave an impact in your community, right? Like Mm -hmm. I want people to think beyond just, you know, immediate kids and and a spouse. If you want to leave a legacy in your town, you know, support Mm -hmm. other people getting education when you're not here. There's so many ways to to leave a financial legacy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my legacy really comes down to helping helping people invest and, and really think through like, this concept of like, you deserve to, to be rich, you deserve to be wealthy. Um, and in addition to that, I mean, for me specifically, building this business has been a dream of mine. Um, so that's a big part of my wealth journey. A lot of what I'll probably doing the future is try to parlay that into real estate, but I'm not, I'm not rushing into it anyway. Um, so that that's one thing, but you know, one day I, I hope to adopt like I was adopted. Um, and bring that person into my life and, and hopefully teach them what I've learned and for them to go off and, and do great things. Um, but I've always just had the, the spirit of giving back like my my adopted dad, who was the only dad I truly knew growing up was very philanthropic he would always give back he would give his shirt off his back to anyone we would house people who were homeless growing up he would have cookouts on sundays and invite people that didn't have food to put on the table he would cook for them and again like he worked in the warehouse he didn't have any money but he would give his last dollar to someone that needed it um so when he passed in in 09 um after my freshman year I dedicated my entire life to service and and giving back um and luckily i'm able to do that now through better wallet but you know hopefully i'm able to do that for my own family into the future um i just have to just get to the point where i'm not focusing so much on the business i'm actually focusing on on growing a family i think i'm going to start with a dog first or maybe a goldfish. That's maybe good. we'll start with it's a goldfish fish. and now get a dog and then I'll adopt a child. Um, well, Mark,
0: you are loved. Let me just say you are loved and you have a lot of people supporting you. I'm raising my hand. Hopefully now the So Money audience will start following you. If they haven't already, tell us where we can find you. In addition to obviously Instagram at Better Wallet, tell us where else um, you've got some good stuff going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um I'm on all social media channels, um at the Better Wallet or at Better Wallet B-E-T-T-E-R-W-A-L-L-E-T. Um I'm on TikTok, YouTube, obviously Instagram, and I also have the Better Wallet podcast as well, where I'm I'm talking about powerful money stories and people who truly beat the odds. Um, so that launched last year, and we're about to be at one year of having a podcast. We just hit 50 episodes. so I'm really excited for that. So you can find me on all socials um, and you can. Uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for now. More things coming for up. For now,
0: for now. Yeah. <laughs> on that podcast milestone, that's no small feat.
1: Yeah, it's been fun
0: when you, when you know you're having fun, you know, you're doing it right.
1: Absolutely. I, I feel like I don't work a single day in my life. The fact that I'm working, quote unquote, working right now is like a true dream. Um, so thank you for having me on and thank you for sharing me with your audience.
0: Thank you, Mark. Thanks to Mark for joining us. I've got the link to his bulletproof investing checklist in our show notes. I'll see you back here on Wednesday when it is Equal Pay Day. We're going to be talking to my friend, Alexandra Carter, author of Ask for More on negotiating in 2023. You don't want to miss that. Until then, I hope your day is so money.